to every generation. He gives the joy of his salvation. Please stand by. Oh, we'll be God's streaming live soon. So amazes me. As I watch the world around me, please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. He made a mighty nation from the seed of Abraham. And led them through the wilderness into the promised land. In boundless love and mercy, He gave His only Son. Well, good morning. Good morning. Jonathan Dunn, streaming live from Rick Bonfa Ministries office here. 1711 Merriweather Drive, spelled M-E-R-I-W-E-A-T-H-E-R Drive, Suite 104, Watkinsville, Georgia, 30677. That is our mailing address. So if you want to mail us a donation, send it there. Amen. Well, we're in Acts chapter 11, and I hope you listened to our good friend, uh, Miss Betty McKinney, yesterday morning. She taught an excellent Bible study uh, out of uh, Acts chapter 11, um, kind of going up to this story of Agabus, which is where we're going to pick up in verse 27. But essentially what we're finding here in uh, Acts chapter 11 is that Antioch is just having a full-out revival. You know, and it says, it says that the revival happening in Antioch was so significant that it, it, for a year it was going on. That's where the church suddenly is, is growing. That's, that's starting to become a central location of the growth of the church. And, and not to say that it's replacing Jerusalem or anything like that, but after the, after the stoning of Stephen and the persecution began and the gospel spread and then... Then the Holy Spirit fell upon the house of Cornelius, and, and bam, a revival's broken out. So much so that in verse 27, it says, In these days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch. In other words, it began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, right? That's where it began. But Antioch, what was happening, the revival in Antioch became so significant that they sent prophets from Jerusalem to join what was happening there to begin to encourage and be a part of what God was doing there. So this was no small thing that was happening in Antioch. It was, it was a really big deal. The church was growing. It's, it, it says here at verse 26, you know, that, that they taught much people. And I mean, they, the, the church is just exploding now. And so in the middle of all this, uh, they, you know, they're talking with the Jerusalem crowd and they say, well, well send, us, send us some some of the group that was there in the beginning of Pentecost and send them up here to minister. So they do. And so they're there. We don't know what all was going on, but, you know, they're singing songs and they're preaching the Word and they're having Bible studies and, and you have... Some of the apostles there sharing stories about what it was like to walk with Jesus, you know. And, and suddenly this guy named Agabus stands up, verse 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit 
that there should be great drought throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, that, that's a really... That, in my mind, okay? Verse 28 is a interruption of God in the midst of the church growing. In other words, revival's growing. You know, everything's going great. The church is growing. Antioch is exploding. And suddenly God just interrupts that whole scene to say, I know that y'all are having a great time here. (laughs) Right? I know that things are are, are going so well, but, but I have something to say. And I'm going to intervene and I'm going to interrupt what's going on right now because because I need you to be ready to respond to something that's coming. And and that really means a lot to me because as a Christian, uh, I have to ask myself, am I willing and am I in a position to allow God to just interrupt my life? Is there a space in my personal life, in my job here at Rick Bonfin Ministries, as a father, as a husband, as, as, a, as, as a member of my church, is there space for God to interrupt the scene? When I think things are going great and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it and doing all the things, am I willing to let God interrupt and intervene and redirect What's going to happen? Now, honestly, I need to be. I got to this point faster than I was going to. I was going to spend time analyzing the text. I'll get to that in a second. But, but honestly, th- this, is the, this is the heart of what I see here going on. Is that, is that, is that, and you're about to see, starting here, and then when Peter goes into the jail, and then when Herod dies, okay, Three, three stories back to back of God just totally intervening. Totally interrupting what's going on and, and doing what He needs to do to grow His church and, and to see that the Word is spread and to see that His, His purpose is accomplished. So the question is, are we going to be a part of that intervention process of God? And so in this situation, you know, uh, verse 29, Then the disciples... Every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren who dwelt in Judea. In other words, so this sort of starts a principle that we find in a lot of Paul's letters, right? Of wealthy churches supporting the poorer churches. So, the inference here is that the Christians uh, in Judea uh, didn't have as much money as those in Antioch. Antioch was a richer uh, city. Okay, so they took up an offering and, and sent it to their brothers in Christ based off of this prophetic word by Agabus. And so they did it and they sent, uh, sent the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Right. So here we have a situation where a New Testament prophet is, is presented... Um, uh, He's presenting 
almost similar to an Old Testament prophet predicting a future event for God to accomplish His purpose. Now, you don't find that a whole lot in the, in the, in the um, New Testament, but that's a lot in the Old Testament. It, it, makes, it reminds me of Joseph. When Joseph went to Egypt, Pharaoh had his dream. And he dreamed of the, uh, the, the seven fat cows and the seven starving cows and the, the, the seven ears of corn that were standing up. And the, I can't remember the exact wording of it. And the seven, the seven that were... Yeah. Okay, so then Joseph, he calls Joseph from the dungeon. Joseph shaves his head, you know, comes up all clean, you know, washes off the dungeon smell. And he tells him prophetically, interprets the dream and says, there's seven years of plenty, seven years of famine coming. And what you need to do is you need to keep a fifth of all of the harvest from the seven years of plenty to prepare for the seven years of famine. Okay, so what was that all about? Well, that was the plan of God to get Joseph's family to come to Egypt. So it was for a purpose. So God interrupted that whole scene where Egypt is doing great, uses Joseph to prepare for the family. And then after that, the rest of the story goes on, right? 400 years in Egypt, they're slaves, Moses comes, the Exodus, promised land. I mean, it's amazing to see how that single event from Joseph caused it. Now, the question I have is this. What is God doing here? Well, honestly, I think that he, God is looking at His growing church and He knows that a famine is really going to hurt the church. It's going to harm them. So he, he provides an opportunity for His people to make it through a difficult time ahead of time. Now, the question is, to me, can God do that in my life? Can God do that in your life? Can God interrupt a scene and give you some information somehow or give you some leading so that you can make a decision that's not a decision you would have made previously so that He can see that His plan is accomplished in your life, in your church, in your ministry? And the answer has got to be yes. Or else what are we doing? Right? So, I, you know, there's, there's story after story of God intervening. Personally, you know, uh, Pastor Rick told a story yesterday, actually. An hour before Mary Lucy's funeral, God told him to go to the cemetery because there was something not right. When he shows up at the cemetery, the gravesite is... 30, 40 feet away from where we thought it would be. And I was there with Pastor Rick when we chose it, and the young lady showed us where it would be, and in our minds, that's where it was, but it wasn't there. And so, so God was having mercy on Pastor Rick so that when he got to the funeral, <laughs> he wouldn't have a shock then. He had the shock an hour before so he could sort of work it out and then do the funeral, and then God provided ahead of time because three weeks prior... There was a prime spot in that cemetery that a couple released, had bought 20 years ago. The couple released it because they decided to do something else and couldn't make the payments anyway. And there, it was available. As if God was saying, two years ago when Pastor Rick made the contract, God knew that, that's not, that he wasn't going to be in either of those spaces anyway. So, you know, what are we really doing? 
there's a story when my wife was working at uh, a campus ministry here in town. She was in prayer one morning. She tells this story a lot. And God gave her a clear vision of a man on a treadmill in a gym. And that she needed to go talk to him and encourage him. Well, she was young in the faith, you know, but open to try to be used by God. So, you know, scared to death, she goes to her gym. There's one man on the treadmills. She said on the way over there, she was praying there wouldn't be a man on the treadmill. There's one man, there's one man on the treadmill. So she said, okay, God. She, remember, she, she, she went into the women's bathroom to have a moment. <laughs> I guess she realized she couldn't get out of it now. So she goes and she tells me, well, the man was a pastor. Totally down and out. And God sent her to encourage him and, and tell him that God hasn't left him, that his ministry can succeed. There's a guy, I uh, read a book recently, Ethiopia is dear to our hearts. My two sons were born in Ethiopia. Decades ago, there's a guy named McClelland who uh, was a missionary from America uh, went to, no, Australia. Australian missionary to Ethiopia. There are all kinds of amazing stories, but one of them is that he invited some converts in one of the villages to see if any of them wanted to be local missionaries. So one of them came forward. He was a cripple. And he, he said, God called me to go to this tribe. It was a two days walk for him as a cripple. It would have been a five days walk. And it was one of the most brutal tribes in that area. Everybody, they were well known for killing anybody who came near them. And they said, you can't do it. They're just going to kill you. And he said, God called me to go. Took him, and the elders wouldn't let him go. Next year, same thing happened. Invited people to come forward to be missionaries. He came forward again and said, God called me to go to these people. Again, this missionary and the elders discouraged him. Finally, they said, okay, you got to go. He walked five days there. The only thing about that tribal culture that was redeeming, it seems, is that they honored cripples. Out of all the people that God called to be missionaries in that little village with McClelland, he was the only one that would have succeeded with that tribe. And God told him he needed to go. So when he went, they accepted him, and that tribe got saved because he was a cripple. They would have killed anybody else that went. When I was going to Cuba with Pastor Rick, a couple, I'm just, just little stories, okay, of God intervening. Are we, going to do, are we open to this or not? That, that's my question. We were going to Cuba, and we're at the airport. And four times, Pastor Rick asked me, what is in my backpack? I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it looked overpacked, or, or he was just curious, or God was telling him something, right? What's in your backpack? And finally, we're sitting at the gate, and this is the fourth time he said, John, what do you have in that backpack? You got your Bible in there? And I said, you know what, Pastor Rick? I forgot my Bible. I'm supposed to be the Bible teacher on that trip. <laughs> so, I go down to uh, the only bookstore that's in that terminal, and, uh, and there's only one Bible left, and it was the King James, which is the Bible that we use. So, I have my King James Bible, my little King James that I bought at the airport, and it's sitting on my desk to remind me that, uh, that when I go on a mission trip, I'm really not in charge at all. God's in charge. And I've got to be open to God intervening and interrupting my agenda so that He could do something that He needs to do. Now, what are, what, what's one of the results of 
of that concept? Well, one of them is that it alleviates us from being in control of the universe and it alleviates us from being afraid of the future. What do you mean by that? Well, honestly, if if your Christian walk is based off of you controlling your trajectory, and that's one of my criticisms, and I don't want to be overly critical, but if that's one of your criticisms, or that's one of my criticisms of some of the discipleship curriculum that's in the mainstream churches these days is that it it does teach us that there is sort of this formula to grow, right? And if you do the formula, you will grow. And so you sort of have your own trajectory for who you want to become as a Christian. I want to be this type of Christian. And so let's do it. And that... In a lot of ways, I see that. I grew, I honestly, I grew up around some of that. These Bible study curriculums that just sort of take you from step to step, and once you get through the steps, you're a good Christian now. And, and it doesn't leave space for God to just do something. So there, the church in Antioch is growing, exploding, doing all kinds of things. They're having a great day. And all of a sudden, God says, I have something in my heart, and I have an agenda you guys don't know anything about it, and that's okay, cause you're not supposed to. But I know about it, and I need to tell you about it. And because they were open to it, God was allowed. The, 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 the brothers and sisters in Judea received the help that they needed. Now, can you go down a little bit, Cindy? Now, the question I have, one of the questions that comes up here is, is, uh, is this uh, prophecy by Agabus, uh, historically accurate? Well, yes. It's historically accurate in that we have an account from the Bible that says that it happened. And so, I believe that the Bible is true. And so, I don't necessarily need sources outside of the Bible to tell me if the Bible's true or not. Okay? But there are three sources outside of the Bible that reference the, the famine. In the mid-40s A.D., when uh, uh, this guy Claudius Caesar was uh, uh, was ruling, and and one of them is uh, it's down some more, Cindy. One of them is Josephus, by the way. He's the famous historian where we get a lot of stuff. Um, and then you got to go down some more for me to find the other ones. Yeah, there they are, because I don't know how to pronounce them. Orosius, fourth century historian, mentions this famine in Syria. Uh, between 46 and 47, okay? Um, and then Suetonius, okay? Another historian, Suetonius, in his work, Life of Claudius, in chapter 18, mentions the same famine. So you have three uh, sources outside of the Bible that reference this famine, okay? So I'm going to spend, I guess, the last few minutes, though, because inevitably the question comes up, and this is applicable to today. Okay, I talked about God intervening in your life. God does that here in the early church in Antioch when they're just having a great revival. And God comes in with a different agenda, but they're open to it. We talked about just sort of Agabus. But let's talk about today because there's a lot of prediction prophecy that goes on today. Okay? 
a lot of prediction prophecy. If you just Google it, you'll be overwhelmed. It's just saturated. Okay? It's actually become uh, sort of a... uh, Well, it's become lucrative. I don't know how else to say it. I'm not going to say the name of the website because there's multiple other ones, so I don't want to pick on one website by any means. Or to say that God isn't using some of these people. Okay? But I went to a website that has these uh, these guys, all right? It's like a it's like a website where multiple different prophetic people come and and post stuff, right? So it said, "Search for a prophecy," <laughs> right? Well, as you do that, so the first thing I noticed was that I had to look very clear, closely to tell: Am I about to click on a prophecy or an ad? Okay. In other words, the prophecies and the ads, they designed the website so the prophecies and the paid ads look the same. <laughs> now, I got a problem with that, and I'm not saying that God didn't use some of those people, but I got a problem with that when prophecy is becoming a money-making business. I just, I just can't go there because that's not the purpose for which God uses people to give a prophetic word. Okay? So, what do I want to say? Well, I want to give a, simply a word of caution as sort of that pastoral heart of mine wants to come out. That, that you listening would be careful not to look at some of this national prophecy too closely because um, a lot of it is mixed in with, with selfish ambition. It just really is. And... And so, it's a scene that a lot of times there's good in it and there's bad in it, and sometimes it's hard to tell what's good and bad, and it's all mixed together. Um, and it, there's so much of it out there that it, it can be very distracting. And that, that's my main criticism, not whether it's right or wrong. God's in charge of that. As a believer and as somebody who is trying to see that, you know, that people in Atlanta are overcoming... The fact that they have kids that aren't saved. Now that is where I want to see God move. And that's what God called me to do. The people in Atlanta Bible study come and they have kids that aren't saved. They have kids that are lost, that don't have jobs, that are broke. They have to move back in home. They have family members who are in strife. You know, mothers and daughters who are fighting each other. Now, that's where I want to see a prophetic word come in and do something. Now, I understand that there's a national scene and God's in charge of that. But God hadn't called me to do anything there. And if I look at that stuff too much, I can get too distracted from the fact that I'm going to go to Atlanta tomorrow night. There's some people that are really in need. And that, that, and that, that's where I need to put my heart. That's where my prayer life needs to be. Mostly not to say I don't pray for the president. The Lord calls us to pray for all the political stuff. But I need to see God moving in the people that He sent to us at Rick Bonfin Ministries. Because if that's not happening, then what are we doing? So, you pastors that are uh, listening, I think you, I hope you be encouraged to know that because there could be some pressure from the congregation, people come to you with these questions, right? Yeah, of course they do. 
talking to Pastor Kyung, uh, and he did a series lately where members of the church would email him questions, and, and he would take the questions, and he for a while he was preparing his Sunday sermons based off of their questions. And a lot of the questions were about stuff like this, you know, the national scene and, and how do we understand this and prophetic and, you know, stuff like that. How do we deal with that? So it's real stuff. Your congregation wants to know what to do with it. So, so I hope you'd be encouraged to know that, that uh, you don't have to go into that. Minister to the people. Ask them if they have unsafe family members. Ask them if they have a health problem and they want to be healed of it. Ask them if they're in depression and they want to be set free. You know, that's really where we're called to, you know. There's very few agapuses in the world. So how do we understand prophetic at Rick Bonfim Ministries? And this is kind of how I end, because I, I, I don't think I, I can talk about Agabus and him standing up and give a prophetic word without talking about this. Now, first of all, let me say, to really get this, you have to listen to Pastor Rick's 25 message series on the prophetic that's on our website, it's on our podcast, it's on YouTube, okay? And so he spends a lot of time, because this is one of the most confusing things in the church today is how to understand prophetic and the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet and the word of wisdom. How does it all work together, right? Well, there is an office of a prophet, okay? Ephesians 4.11, and that's one thing. Then there is the gift of prophesying, which is different from the office of a prophet. That's one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of prophesying, which is 1 Corinthians 14.3, okay? And that's to edify, build, and comfort the body of Christ. Now, you say, okay, well, what about this idea of, of future stuff? Well, that's word of wisdom, okay? Word of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 12.8, pertains to future things. So, for instance, that, that's, that, was, uh, that was Pastor Rick. The Lord was given Pastor Rick a word of wisdom to go to the cemetery an hour early. That was a word of wisdom. Just go. God was ministering to Pastor Rick. God gave Tara a word of wisdom. Go to the gym. Okay. God gave that crippled missionary in Ethiopia a word of wisdom. That tribe is ready to receive. Go. I mean, he had no idea that they would receive him as a cripple, but the Lord said go. It was a word of wisdom. So that, that's pertaining to future things as a word of wisdom. So that is how at Rick Bonfin Ministries, just in a nutshell, we sort of divide the three. Now, do you want to learn more about that? I hope that you do, because it's very important that we don't just throw them all in the same pot and mix them around, because then everybody gets confused. Okay? So watch Pastor Rick's series on the, 20, on the 25 things uh, the 25 teachings on the prophetic, where he discusses this. Go on a trip with us, either to Cuba, Brazil, or Peru. Learn about it and practice it and see it in action. Okay? That's the best way to learn about it, is to see it in action. Okay? But begin in your mind to divide the three things. Word of wisdom, gift of prophecy, prophesying, 1 Corinthians 14.3, edify, build, and comfort the church. Office of a prophet, which is different from gift of prophesying. 
Okay, and word of wisdom. Okay, so you got the three three different things there. Just begin to divide the three in your mind. Okay, and so how do I how do I see what Agabus did? I see that as he was, in a sense, maybe doing all three, but really he was a prophet, clearly stated, who had a word of wisdom. Simple as that. Now I think that anybody can have a word of wisdom by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be a somebody who has the office of, of a prophet to have a word of wisdom that pertains to the future. That can happen all the time with believers who are just open to the gifts of the Spirit operating in their life. Okay? Okay, but I think that Agabus was a prophet who received a word of wisdom and then that was God helping his church. So God can do that in your life. God can give you a word of wisdom. God can show you how to pray for your kids. God can show you how to pray for your spouse who's unsaved, your spouse who's in depression. God can show you how to pray for your pastor who seems to have lost all hope. Okay? Because sometimes approaching the person isn't the right thing to do, but God needs to give you a word to know how to pray for them. God can show you a business contract or, or, or a, a, how to proceed in business outside of anything you would have ever thought of. So be open to what God might do. You don't have to control the future. You don't have to plan everything. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to be in control, but let's just let's be open to God intervening and doing something in our lives that, that is for our benefit, for the furtherance of His kingdom and His glory in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our communities. And let's, as we are open to that, let's just see what, what God's going to do. Amen? Thank you for listening this morning. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Stay, stay tuned because you've got some good teachings coming on right after this. And tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock we have a dear friend, Dr. Reverend Gene Thomas, is going to deliver the word for us in the morning. So I hope that you join us tomorrow morning again at 9 o'clock. Have a great day. Sacrifice for everyone For God's mercy so amazing to me. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. To every generation, He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see His from the seed of Abraham. And led them through the wilderness into the promised land. And boundless 